How is everybody? It's good to see you. Welcome to Ocean City. Um, we are in our sixth installment of uh, our summer series, the book, the epistle, the letter of James. And if you missed last week, Dan graciously got us through the second chapter. So 30 or 40 minutes a week, five times we've only gone through two chapters of this book, uh, which I'm actually very proud the elders and the pastors are getting up here trying to not rush through it. Because if you read James, you kind of want to rush through it. <laughs> it's, ve- it's very challenging. You read some of the things and you're like, oh, I want to skip that one. I even mentioned, I'm like, oh, chapter two, don't want to do that. I'm pass that off to uh, Dan. Chapter three, I like it. Horses, boats, firemen, expert. I know all that stuff. Uh, that's the one I should be talking about. Um, but yeah, Dan, man, if you miss it, how about Dan McFerrin? Dan is the man. If you weren't here, I've been sick uh, and I missed it, but I watched it online. And dude, so good. Like the title of it was Truth, Faith, and he just really carefully and lovingly like just put the pieces together. Yes, we're saved by faith in Christ alone, but the life of faith will imitate, will shine good works. And something he said that really made so much sense to me, he said, you never define it by itself. And that was awesome. And I, I was like, that's it. He nailed it. And then I thought, dang, I have to speak after him now. Uh, if you, it, which, so if you don't, something else you might not know about Dan is he's an awesome cook. So speaking after Dan is also like cooking food for somebody that has just recently eaten some of Dan's meals. If you're not good at it, uh, it's a problem. Like uh, Sarah was up here on Tuesday night for Oasis, and so I was at home with my children, and I'm making them food. I'm a good dad. And so I'm like I'm making the fixing the plate, and I'm like handing the girls uh, their dinner, and my daughter, uh, Kaylee and Sadie, Kaylee's 16, is Kaylee? Oh, there's Kaylee. And Sadie's 13. As I'm handing them their food, they're literally like start talking about these awesome meals that Dan made for them before. And I'm like, I was literally like, what? You know, and they're like, and they had like specifics. Like Sadie was like, remember that one with the curry in it? That was delicious. And I'm like, what? I don't even really know what curry is. Is it a sauce or a spice? You don't know what you're talking about. You're 13. Can't be that great. So I texted Dan. I texted Dan personally. I was like, hey man, thanks a lot. Uh, I'm fixing my children and they're bragging about how good your food is. And his response was, aren't you a fireman? I thought you guys just cook all day and work out and clean red trucks. And I was like, no, let me educate you. We do those things. However, we're also very busy doing hero stuff. So I had to educate him about the hero thing, and then he asked me the worst possible question in the text. He said, what did you make for them? And I was like, oh, this is embarrassing. I made them bacon and eggs. I made breakfast for dinner. And so he was like, how do you screw up bacon? And I was like, I don't know, man. They ate it. I mean, they tasted like bacon, but they just talked about your food the whole time. It hurt my feelings. Um, so, like, that's how. It's kind of how today feels. Like, Dan, like, had this curry message where he just uh, uh, added all the ingredients, and then I'm going to get up here and feed you uh, breakfast. But, so you're getting, I'll spice it up. I put a lot of effort into this. I'll make a, I'll make a special uh, 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 huevos rancheros. It's a very unique breakfast dish in Costa Rica. That's what this message will be. Uh, we have a saying in the fire service that there's no love in a crock pot. Uh, firemen hate when you just pour all the things in there and you hit it to simmer and you're like, they're like, oh, you didn't put any effort feeding us heroes. Uh, and I sort of get what they're saying, but I also think sometimes when you get into the deepest parts of the word of God, sometimes it's better to let it simmer. You know? And I think especially James, because it is so challenging, I think we need to, we need to do like Dan did last week and we need to put all the ingredients in. We need to pull this in. We need to let it cook. We need to let it break down. We need to, we need to see it. We need to smell it. We need to feel it. 
and then we need to let it nourish us. That's what the Word of God does, uh, even when it's difficult. And so I think we need to kind of look at James today that way. We're going to be in James chapter 3, um, uh, taming the tongue. That won't be offensive at all. Uh, I told Sarah, I was like, yeah, we're in the tame of tongue, in, uh, um, James 3, and she was like, oh, gosh, don't get up there and just bash social media. You do that every time. Uh, Teach the word rightly. Don't do that. And I was like, she's right. But I was also like a big baby. Like, oh, this is the best one to like say how terrible uh, tweeting and other stuff you do can be. And I was like, all in there. But she's right. Preachers are not supposed to just use uh, the Bible uh, to make points that they think work. They're supposed to teach what it actually uh, says. And actually, the thing that stinks, I wish I wasn't speaking today about James chapter 3, is it's literally a challenge to people that teach. I mean, it's a challenge for all of us, right? It's a challenge for all believers in the faith, but it literally says the very first chapter, not many of you should want to get up and teach and run your mouth because your mouth is like a wild, untamable beast. It's a fire that can damage if you're not careful when you stand in this place and you don't rightly talk about Jesus and what he said. And it's very, when I read that, I was like, I'm so dumb. I should have did chapter two and let Dan do this one. <laughs> what was I thinking, you know? And, um, and it is challenging. I think, like I said, this is the sixth time we've talked about it. Uh, part of the reason that people struggle with James chapter three, or James, the book as a whole, is known as a very Jewish book. Uh, potentially, scholars believe it is the oldest written New Testament book. It might have been the first one. Um, and it's... The writer, if you don't know who the writer is, James, and you don't know who he's writing to, and you don't know what he's writing about, it's very easy, and Dan referred to this for our modern eyes and lenses, to read legalism, because it does lead very heavily to a life of faith will produce good works and deeds, right? Which that is hard for anybody to get up here and say, because we know that we're sinners, like, I had to confess some sin on Wednesday this week. I was up here working, and I'm confessing sin to the Lord. I'm like, I shouldn't be getting up here and doing this because I have been running my mouth this last month. I've been saying things, trying to sound wise and understanding to make a point because I'm trying to push an agenda that I have. I've done this. I don't think I should be the one to get up and, and do it. But I, 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 well, maybe you've done that too, huh? Have you done that this last few weeks? Have you done it this month? Have you done it this whole last two years? Have you just said things thinking you're right and thinking you're wise, but maybe just maybe it was more about you and never about trying to help somebody. And that's what's crazy. Like we look at this and we, if you've not been in Ocean City Church, we, we have strong doctrine here. We teach that there is only one way to be saved. You cannot save yourself. You cannot make yourself attractive enough for God. You can't cleanse your own sin. There's only one. His name is Jesus. The finished work that he did on the cross is sufficient for my salvation, or as the apostle Peter said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Acts, there is only one name under heaven by which we can be saved. First ever message preached uh, after Pentecost. Those were, were his, some of his words. So we teach that here, and we believe that here, but we also know that we are to imitate Christ. When we've been reborn, we become like him. Our lives are now hidden in him. We are supposed to look like him, reflect him. We taught this in the second chapter, uh, first second chapter early on, that yes, we are saved by grace, but when you're saved by grace, eventually things will start to be birthed in you, start to come out of you. Water, fresh water, not salt water will come out of you. Fruit will be produced that's edible for others that will lead them to Christ. This is challenging stuff. And so, uh, I've wrestled with it. I thought it was going to be easy. It's not. It makes you feel a certain type of way when you read these, these words of James. And I think uh, 
we're not the first Christians to deal with it. Like Martin Luther, who was the father of the Reformation, he called the epistle of James the, ep- the epistle of straw. Because it did lean so hard on this doctrine of, you know, what your life looks like when you're following Jesus. But the problem is, for us, and, not, and I'll jump into three, but I, I kind of want to paint this picture together with you, is a lot of the Apostle uh, Paul's writings leaned heavy on the doctrine of, hey, faith alone, grace alone, Jesus saves, nothing else does. But he was writing to Gentiles, kings, rulers, and he, that was the purpose of the books. He was trying to show them the truth of this doctrine. The Epistle of James was written in a different way. If you don't know this, this book was written in 42 to 45 A.D. If you remember Stephen, the first ever martyr, he was martyred in 34 A.D. in Jerusalem. So you're talking about a seven to ten year period. This book was written in the middle of Acts. It literally was still happening. And he was writing it specifically to the first ever people to be regenerated. The first ever people that said, Christ has taken out the stone of, of, of my heart and he's put in a heart of flesh. Then they were still alive. The book was written to people that were being dispersed, being persecuted, that were going off and starting churches outside of Jerusalem. This was happening to them. So the doctor, they would have been, many of them, now think about this, as view James in chapter three this way, many of them would have been witnesses to Jesus walking on the earth. Many of them would have been there when they hung him on the cross. They would have seen it with their own eyes. They would have felt the earthquake. They would have known about the curtain being torn in half in, in the temple. They were witnesses, eyewitnesses of Jesus ascending into the clouds. So doctrine was assumed. They didn't need to be told that Jesus saves and nothing else does. They saw it with their own eyes. And so really, the heart of James is not about teaching a doctrine of uh, this is what uh, we know to be true about Jesus and that he's the Messiah. It actually comes from a shepherd. James was a shepherd to these people. And, and we're gonna, I want to show you a couple verses uh, in there and tell, help you pay, paint a little picture of who this guy James was. James was not one of the 12 uh, disciples. There was some that were named James, uh, but he was not one of them. He was actually super-duper close to Jesus. He was his brother. He was one of Jesus' brothers. Uh, and he did not have faith in Jesus during his earthly life. He, ch- he never chose to... Uh, Follow him until after the resurrection, which is crazy. Like, I have a brother, so I don't think it's that weird that James is like, I don't think I believe anything he's saying. You know, like if you're, so imagine this, like you're James, you have a brother, he walks on water. He's unfolding the scripture and the prophets like we've never heard before. He's healing people, and then he's like, oh yeah, uh, I'm the savior of the world. If my brother Adam said that, I'd be like, no. We have the same mom, Mary. Remember her? She's very famous. Right? They have the same mother, the brother, you know, like, ah, you know, you might have been seeing him do it, but he was a witness. He watched the whole thing. He grew up in a very Jewish home, right? Like, one of Jesus' most fav- uh, famous stories is the prodigal son. Remember, everyone loves it. Uh, there, he gets his inheritance of one son, and he goes and squanders it, and then he's like, oh, I've screwed up everything. I need to repent. Then he goes back to God, and he's like, and so, but here's the thing. That story's not about one son. It's actually a story about two brothers, one brother goes away and one stays. So if you're James, you're like, is he talking about me? Am I, is he saying I'm that brother that to stay? Like, can you imagine what this must have felt like as he's seeing Jesus do these things? But he's also seeing Jesus turning the world slowly upside down. He's literally starting to hear people say that just watched his brother preach. Did my heart not burn within me as he spoke? James is an eyewitness 
to the miracle that he'd always been taught and believed might be true. He knew the books of the prophets. He was a very pious Jew, a holy man. He knew the prophets. He knew the, he had been taught it his whole life. They all had longed for this Messiah. And James in his heart is looking, saying, maybe, just maybe, that's what I'm seeing. James, they used to have cool nicknames back in the early Christian times. He was known as James the Just, uh, which really appealed to the fact that he was so uh, committed to the law and to his Jewish faith. He was also known as James the Peacemaker or James the Peaceable. Peaceable is a word. I looked it up. Um, it's a weird word, but it's an amazing word. James actually uses it at the end of chapter 3. And, but it really just means that he, he, was, he fought for peace. He sowed for peace. He gave his peace to people so much that eventually his nature and his character just became that he was a peaceable man. And people loved him for it. We love peaceful men. And that was what he was like. He was known as a peaceable man and a praying man. Dan, Dan referenced this in our first week. But he was also known, known as old camel knees because of how much time he spent getting down and praying. And when you become a praying person and people know you're praying for them, they love you. And when you pray, you become a loving person, right? And you become someone that people will look to and trust and believe in because they know that your, your, your disposition, the words that come out of your mouth are coming from a place of prayer, a place of peace, and a place of, place, a place of love. That's what James was like. And he was super influential in uh, the early church, if Peter was, and Jesus gave him a cool nickname too, The Rock, and I, don't, I wonder why we stopped doing like, the sons of Zebedee were called the sons of thunder. So cool. Like, I don't know why they called them that, but it'd be cool to be like you're a son of thunder. You know, like everybody was getting cool nicknames and then we just stopped doing it, you know? Like I would call Seth Johnson uh, uh, a praying, peaceable man. Uh, Seth the just. He, uh, <laughs> that doesn't make sense, but what I just said, but. He, uh, he, two days ago, I, I, he knows what I've been dealing with. I've had a tough, tough couple of weeks, and my grandmother just passed away. And he called just to check in, and he just prayed for me in the car. He was driving to work, and he just said, hey, man, let me pray for you. Like, unprompted. You're like, you know, like, somebody like that loves you when they do that. You know, I don't know what you would call Dan. Dan, the, the chef that cooks better than you. Or I would call Dan a peaceable man. I think he's very much like this guy, James, that we're talking about. But anyway, let's get back into this because i got to get to chapter 3. So remember, here we are. We've got James. Uh, he's brother of Jesus, doesn't get saved, very influential, slow to speak. Uh, and he's seeing everything unfold. He's a witness, an eyewitness to what's happening. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says that then he appeared to James, then to the Apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. So here we recognize he doesn't get saved in Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus resurrects and then appears to James. So James, and the chronological makes you think he, Jesus came to him first. He came to his brother. And he had his Damascus Road experience with God where he sees the resurrected king that you realize now is the Messiah. Your heart gets flipped over. And the scripture also says that James was in the upper room. Uh, just before Pentecost, um, he, was, he would have saw the tongues of fire. He would have saw the thing that had been prophesied that everybody waited for forever in the Jewish world, and he saw it with his own eyes. It says in Acts 1, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying with Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, all of them were in one accord devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
and with his brothers. Now, interestingly enough, to my knowledge, this is the last time we ever hear about Mary. We don't really know what happens in her story, but the scriptures put them there in the moment. There's probably about a hundred, there's roughly 120 of them in this room. In the moment that they would have seen with their eyes as Jews through the prophets taking place, right? This is what they saw. This is what, this is what James, I want you to think like James. This is what he would have saw on, on that morning, uh, because he was a faithful Jew and he, he knew the scriptures. Ezekiel 36. Now, this is one of my most favorite scriptures, by the way. I love it. It says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people. I will be your God. And I will save you, I will save you from all your uncleanliness, right? So man, if you don't remember the story of Pentecost, this is, they're in there, they're praying, all of a sudden there is a sound the Bible describes like uh, the rush of many waters. It shook the city, so much so that people had to come out to find out what's going on. And they saw, James would have been in the room, he would have saw the spirit of God descend on them, like, come in, and he's, what is he doing? He comes into the room, and he's pulling out hearts of stone, and he's seeing what he's always been taught, and hearts of flesh are being put inside human beings like never, ever before. And he's seeing people overcome with the Spirit of God, speaking in words that no, there's no way they could possibly know. And then he watched as the Holy Spirit overcame Peter and moved him outside, and he preached the first ever gospel message outside of Jesus, and bam, just like that. 3,000 people got saved and baptized in one day. He saw the thing they'd all hoped for. Hey, and if you have a problem with mega churches, the first ever church was a mega church in one day. 3,000 members. It's pretty big. Right? So, hey, sorry. Well, it's a big church. Well, that's kind of how they went back then. Uh, sorry. You know, God moves. This is kind of what happens. And so here's, here's where I'm going. James was in Jerusalem, the first ever community of believers. And over time, they're building the church. And if you look at Acts, I think you have to read through the story of Acts to really get a better picture of what, who James is writing to and why. But he would begin to see what God would do, Acts 2. So continually, daily, in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God with favor and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily... Um, those that were being saved. Year after year, he's seeing the church being built. He's there. Missionary journeys are beginning to happen. Uh, 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 people, uh, persecution is starting to ramp up. And here's James, who uh, in Galatians, Paul calls one of the pillars of the church, Very maybe the first elder, the first shepherd or pastor of the first ever local church. And he identifies himself in James 1. You can see James the Justice influence on Peter and Paul. Uh, this, I don't know if he was older than them. He dies in 62. Paul and Peter die in 66 AD, all martyred. But right here, is, this stuff is still happening, and he's writing this letter to the, these, the early church. And, um, but James calls himself a bondservant or a, slave, a bond slave of God. And later on in some of Paul's writings, you can, he uses some of the same language. He calls himself a bond slave. I'm a bond slave to Christ. I have no rights of my own. I have no will of my own. My, my, I do the bidding of my father, which is to preach the message of Jesus. And it, the more that you read the story of Acts and you see James in it, you realize that his heart was for the flock, for the believer. He recognized that this new body of Christ needed to be loved, instructed. Taught, he recognized that those that put their faith in Christ have a rebirth. But God's desire is not that they just stay babies, but they mature. 
that a mature Christian will do much more for spreading the gospel than one that still needs to be fed milk every day. He longed for those that had experienced this to understand that he was a shepherd and he knew the law, he knew the prophets, he saw the, the resurrected king and his desire is not that they would be held back or have the law still under them, but they would realize that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and he, he puts a spirit in us and moves us to imitate him and follow his paths. Like a good, uh, like a good shepherd, he wanted to teach his his brothers, the ancient past had been fulfilled. It's really a book of remembrance because they were still going through it. And he's writing to these Jews, that, and I forgot to mention this part. He calls himself a bond slave, and he says to the Jews that have been dispersed or displaced from Jerusalem. So remember Stephen gets martyred, and politics starts getting involved, and new, new house churches are starting, and then uh, persecution ramps up. Peter starts getting thrown into jail. And there's even a story where Jesus is, uh, or, uh, Peter's in the jail, and an angel comes and breaks him out at night. And guess who the first person, he's running for his life. He tells when he goes, hey, make sure you go back and tell James what happened to me. Make sure he knows as he's running through the dark trying not to get put back in jail. Like he, this, these people, he was with these people. These were the real characters of history building God's church in Jerusalem. I got to keep, uh, I got so much to say, but I'm going to run out of time. Uh, uh, like I said, it's a book of remembrance because they just were experiencing persecution. They just experienced favoritism. They just experienced uh, trials and tribulations. They just experienced people just popping off their mouths and how damaging it would be without keeping it uh, uh, a tame tongue. It's all stuff that they all just went through, right? Uh, Jeremiah 6.6 6. I love this scripture too. This is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient past where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. Does that not sound like Jesus? Come to me, all you are weary and I will give you rest from your, for your souls. I'm trying to put some, some Jewish eyes on this, these passages you, so you could think like James when he's writing his words. James, he was wanting these new believers to recognize that they don't, we don't, the path that Jesus called the narrow way, he fulfilled it. We can walk in wholeness and not burn it in peace and not condemnation. His only push in James is really that we mature because Jesus is worth it and the gospel message is worth it. That's why his, his whole intent was for the prophecies of his brother, the savior of the world, to continue to spread throughout the whole world. And um, he recognized that a healthy church, a loving church, a praying church, a peaceable church will spread that gospel much more quickly, quickly than one that, that uh, forgets the path that we're supposed to walk. I'm going to read one more thing in Acts, and then we're going to jump to uh, James, because I think this is important. This is Acts 15, uh, and there, it, it sounds a lot like today's world. So first, what's happening is the church is spreading. There's persecution. Missionary journeys are starting, and all these Gentiles that weren't Jews uh, are starting to get saved, and it's causing a ruckus at the mother church. Uh, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers new teachings. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of taught by Moses, you can't be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas in sharp dispute with debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed with some of the other believers to go up to the mother church to see the apostles and elders and wrestle with this question. Politics is getting involved. Old traditions are still there. Even though we know Jesus saves, people are injecting their opinion, right? Sounds a lot like what we're dealing with. The church sent them on their way, and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, and they told how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the believers very glad. These were Jewish Messianic Jews, the first ever church. 
When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Verse 5, this is a mind blower, you ready? Uh, Then some of the believers that belonged, believers, they are called believers, they have faith in Jesus too, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law. Politics are still involved with the early church, the party of the Pharisees. It doesn't just go away when you get saved, right? We're all wrestling with this thing. We're all trying to go towards him, but we live in the world. We're involved in it. We hear all these different things that everybody wants to interject, and it's problematic. You could say a lot of things about that word uh, party. The apostles and elders met, much discussion. Peter gets up and gives this awesome speech Uh, We'll skip to verse 10. Now then, why do we try to test God by putting in them on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither us or our ancestors could ever bear? No, we believe that it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Then the whole assembly, this is so cool. This is about five, seven years uh, after Stephen's death. uh, telling Paul telling signs and wonder God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished James, this is our James. This is our James, the just, the peaceable one. He spoke up and he said, brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophet are in agreement with everything they're saying. And then he reads from the book of Amos. I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. And the rest of mankind will seek the Lord. Even the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord. Those who do things, things known from long ago. Oh my gosh, it's so cool. James is reading that and he's seeing it happen. Now this is happening. I saw the hearty, the stones being ripped out and the flesh being put in. I seen the power of the spirit. Now I'm seeing the Gentiles becoming a part of this whole thing. And then verse 19, he said, it's my judgment therefore that we make it not difficult for the Gentiles to turn to God. Instead, we should write to them on how to live. Basically, we should shepherd them. Don't get in the way of the message of the cross, but they need a shepherd I see, I've watched what happens when, we, when, you, when you hit the flock and there's no one to bring the flock back in. He's seen it. He's experienced it. He watched Peter get put in jail. He sees the persecution ramp up. He hears these other parties and other believers talking and his heart is for his church. That's why we need preachers and teachers and pastors. It says it right here in the Bible. And I'm going to finish with this and then we're going to go into chapter 3. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, solemnly charge you before God and Christ Jesus who is going to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the message. Be persistent whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, and do this with complete patience and teaching. And I think that Peter or Paul saw that's what James did. I think he learned from his example. He's like, this is how we lead. The gates of hell are after us, but this is how we lead. So I'll say this. uh, Lastly, um, all of this is happening specifically at a point in history that I think is very meaningful. Uh, Jonathan Tony, he was uh, been a longtime member of our church. He had a podcast. His family has just moved away to Virginia, and they'll be solely missed. But the, he has this podcast, and I listened to it a couple times because he's a great communicator. And another one of our uh, city group leaders was on it. His name was Lindley Ali, and he, they had this. They were talking about this cool thing: how Christ's death at that time in history was very meaningful. It, it was. It would have been different if it had happened uh, in their summary at another time. In Galatians 4, 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, that God sent forth his son. 
And so I think they were on to something. I think everything that was happening that was going to be written about Christ, not only his, his death and his resurrection, but what it happened to the early church would be meaningful for all times. So we can see ourselves in this part of history. Yes, technology is different, but written word was being produced and sent out like never before. Uh, wisdom and politics and uh, sense were, uh, were, were considered high value just like they are today. Like, I just thought that was, I think he's right. And I think we need to remember, yes, maybe we weren't, we're not Messianic Jews. We weren't in that time, but there are something in these words that will do something to us that we need to, we need to let our, uh, God simmer in us and, and nourish us with. I just thought it was so cool. And I remember, this is like a reminder. They, he's seen favoritism. He's like, hey, remember, remember when groups started popping up? The whole deal. So it's just, you got to go back and read it. It'll make much more sense. So um, our modern take, in the la- this is the last part, and then I'll go into my points. Um, our modern take is we only want to hear legalism, but the writers of these displaced Jews that were a part of the first ever believers would have heard love because they'd been scattered some of them had been killed. They're running away to Judea, Samaria. They're joining missionary teams. And they would have wanted to hear from James, the one they know that prayed for them and loved them. It would have been something that they experienced with him. And he's reminding them, hey, don't forget where we've been. Don't forget what we've been through. Preach the gospel. Like he, he loved these people. Roughly 20 years, he never left Jerusalem. He was one of the key leaders. And uh, Dan talked about it too. It's not recorded in scripture, but in in, um, in history that he was martyred, thrown from the top of the temple, and then beaten with a club because he survived. Never left Jerusalem. He never left his, his people. He never left his mother church. And he had seen what happens when God ignites the hearts of men. When the Spirit of God comes into us and ignites our, our hearts, he turns the world upside down. He shakes the ground with his fire. But he also saw what happened when men just let their tongues run loose and how he can burn up people that are thirsty and dry on the inside. Because that's what we're like, right? Our world, our people, they were the same way. We're spiritually dehydrated, longing for water, longing to be filled with this living water that only comes from Jesus, John 4. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Verse 15, me, you, and everybody else that's ever lived. Sir, give me this water, please, so that I won't have to go and be thirsty more. Give me this water. I'm, I'm dehydrated. I'm, I'm undone. I need life. I need Jesus. And James is like, no, we got to stop doing what our ancestor says. Jeremiah 2, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We stumble, we cannot tame the tongue, we need the perfect one to come and set us ablaze. We should be praying that the Spirit consumes like fire like he did at Pentecost and not just our tongues and our mouths. Today's world, men's ears are burning so much and all the talking and all the rhetoric and all the politics and everything. James 3 might be the most relevant book we should all be reading right now. Yes, this is... this. This was written to Messianic Jews, but they weren't much different from us. They put their faith in Christ. They got caught up living life, monies, bills, clothes, hopes, and dreams, everything. They were dealing with slavery. Same stuff we're talking about now. Favoritism, slavery, who has enough money, who doesn't, who's using what money, all the same parts. And he recognized that his people could be easily compromised and fractured if they weren't shepherded, shepherded by, by James. So let's go to James chapter 3. I said all that to paint this Super long picture, but James 3 kind of stands alone. I'm going to pick out a few things, and then I'm going to uh, pray, and we'll get ready to respond to God and what he's teaching us today. Because I tried really hard to find it. Oop. 
Thank God the top was on. There's electronics right there. Um, so James chapter 3, you ready for this? Let's take this, let's take this journey. Not many of you should become teachers, my, de- de- my fellow brothers, because you know that we that teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault at what he says is perfect and can keep his whole body in check. This word perfect was used seven times. Thank you, Mary Beth. Um, seven times, actually, to the Jewish person, they, what they were hearing was not, oh, you got to behave perfect. What they heard was a reference to the Messiah. It literally, for them, represented wholeness, holiness, holiness perfection, uh, connecting to God's law. They, this, he was talking about Jesus. He was like, hey, we all stumble. But who's the one that has never stumbled? Who's the one that's perfect, that has kept everything in check for us? He was talking about Jesus, and his readers would have known it. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. And he quickly moves past it. But I mean, if you've ever never ridden a horse... Uh, this may, you'd think, oh, you just put the thing in there and you go. Sarah's parents used to have a bunch of horses. At one time, they had like eight horses down in Palm Valley for 20 years. My kids grew up riding horses. I, I was very good at riding horses. I'm good at everything, especially that. Uh, I even had a cowboy bat and the cool boots, and I was like a real cowboy. And I, th- this is a lot like pastoring, but I didn't realize caring for horses was so much work. You're constantly picking up poop. These dudes would poop everywhere. I mean, like six, seven times a day. I'm like, this is pastoring. I'm just shoveling up poop, and you're washing the horse, and you're like, oh, don't let him eat that hay. He'll die. It's like, what? How does an animal that's lived for a 1,000 years eats a little bit of green hay, and he's just going to die? I don't get that. And I mean, you're just, they're con- there's so much work, but they're super fun. If you've never, so the old TPC uh, parking lot used to just be a field, so we would ride from her parents' house to this field and ride as fast as we could. Like, if you've never had that experience, we're just like, it is awesome. Like, I'd pretend to have a gun and be like, da, da, da. Everyone would be behind me because I was awesomer and faster. Uh, so cool. Um, and these, we had a horse. There was a raving horse. Dude, it was beautiful. His name was Caper. I was the only one that could ride him because he was, he was like a Ferrari. He was the Ferrari of horses. And he'd just stop on a dime and book and bee. And I could do all that stuff, right? And I'm bridling this sucker. While re- reading this, I realized, ah, That is a wild animal, and I might put a bit in its mouth, but its desire is to run, to disobey me, and buck me off. And guess what? I got arrogant one day. I forgot about what this tongue and what this horse wanted to do. Our whole family was over there on Easter. Everybody's watching the horses. They're all my, a lot of my friends, and I wanted to show off because I'm a cowboy, you know? And so I went up to Caper that me and him were pals, and I tried to hop on him and just start riding him in front of everyone like, is all of Easter seeing this, you know? And dude, when I went to jump on him, I kicked him right in the butt. He didn't like that. So I ended up, he bucked a little bit. I ended up on his back like this, and we were just riding around like, ah! our whole family's like, look at Dave. And I'm like, oh my God. And then he starts bucking, and dude, he throws me off. Double backflip, almost land on my neck, but because I'm very tough, it didn't hurt that bad. And uh, it was super embarrassing. Everyone watched. My friends were laughing. Even the women were like, let's go see if he's okay. <laughs> you know? And, this, and this, is, this is what James is saying to us. Like, yes, yes, they're beautiful. There's work there. But if you don't remember, if you, don't, if you get arrogant and you don't stay humble, you're going to forget that that thing in you's desire is to damage, to break, to run, and to mess everything up. Right? Or take ships, for example. I had a boat. I'm an expert at this. It's amazing. Uh, my dad gave us this old boat. And... Um, 
I put Sarah, my new baby, Asher, in it, put the life jack on him. I'm an expert. I'm going to Intercoastals, just water. It was a lake boat. It was 50 years old. Never drove it before. But because I usually have a knack for just doing things well, I'm like, I'll do that. We put the thing in the water. Sarah's in there. Oh, she's just as cute as she, uh, then as she is right now. And she has her little baby. We're, we're going to be boating people. And I'm like, brr, I go to crank it up, let it off the thing. Brr, brr, it won't start. Brr, brr, you know, and all of a sudden, where the current is taking us in her coast, so I didn't realize it was very powerful. Brr, brr, like, you see how fast you're going to the rocks, and you two blonde humans are looking at you like, what are you doing? You're like, brr, brr, I was like, what did this thing start? You know, start banging into the rocks. You're like, oh, I'm taking the cover off like I'm going to fix it in the water. Just looking like a huge idiot, you know. Other bothers are going by like, look at that guy, you know. Not helping, but you're like very prideful. You don't want to go, help, can you at least get my children off of this thing? I'm going to die. And we had to be towed to the bank. Shoot, yeah, it was made for water. It had a rudder, a propeller. But the problem was the person managing it had no knowledge, no skills, didn't put any effort into dissecting how to use the boat. He just just did that. Don't do it, James is telling us. Don't forget what happens when you function in arrogance. Uh, Last one, number five. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. So awesome. The tongue is also fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It is corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and itself is set on fire by hell. Forest fires, my last one. Firemen, I've been to them. The, problem, the thing about the forest fires that's so terrible is it's not the fire part. It's the smoke. It just and the heat and the dirtiness, it's everywhere. You go in there to try to put this stuff out, you're not even near the fire, and it's just nasty. It's getting everywhere. You can't see. The winds are changing. It's just messing everything up. We had this little forest fire off a base, a best road in Gervin. Somebody threw a cigarette uh, out their window, super dry time. Fire comes up. We pull up in the fire truck, hero time. Like, we got this. Uh, we put the gear on, we run in there, and literally it's just like, oh my gosh, it's smoke, you're trying to shovel up stuff, hitting fire where you can see it, and all of a sudden the wind changed, and you heard like this, and my buddy, uh, who is not as athletic as me, although wearing those bunker pants is no one's athletic, you just cannot move quickly, I, I, don't, I hear him yelling, I'm like, what is he yelling about, and he's like, look up, and I look up, and all those trees caught on fire, and all the fire was running above my head, and I was like, Oh, bad. And the wind was pushing it towards me. And you see him just coming out of the clearing of the woods, just. And so we just dropped the hose, like, oh, turn around and just start running away. And you could feel the heat and the smoke just coming, trying to set my life on fire, trying to kill me, trying to destroy everything that I've worked for. Man, our tongues are like a spark that if we're not careful, when it hits that parts of our hearts and our souls, our relationships, our friends, it can just ruin everything. All kinds of animals, birds, and reptiles, and sea creatures, and I would add dogs, have been tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Verse 9, this is amazing. The tongue, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers and sisters. This should not be. Can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? Can a fig bear olives and a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt produce fresh water. And this is going to be the last verse that we read. So he says all that. 
he says all of that. And then he literally takes his microphone and he drops it in front of this, this whole group. And he says this. I just talked. He literally just talked about arrogance and pride as hardcore as you can. And then he says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who wants to answer that question? Are you really going to stand up in your arrogance and say, you know? Are you really going to stand up with your mouth and say, hey, I'm throwing this at you. I've got understanding. When I read that, the tone of it made me think of John 8, where all those people were standing around that woman ready to throw stones at her. And they gathered around, and just like, just like we'd throw stones with our mouths, they were ready because she had done something wrong. She, didn't, she sinned. She, she messed up, whatever it is. All they wanted to do is throw stones at them. Who, who among you is wise? And for some reason, all I could hear was Jesus saying, he that doesn't have any sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone. I'm just like, man, I've been doing that for the last month. I've been picking up stones when people have made me mad and frustrated in politics and life and the church, and I'm just ready to throw stones at everybody with my mouth. That is not God's way. He's literally saying, hey, remember, you've been regenerated. There's power in your words. You praise God. Don't pick up throw, uh, th stones to throw at other people's mistakes. We're not to condemn people like that anymore. We, are from, we may be in the world, but we're not of the world. How quickly we jump on the bandwagon of tongue-throwing and sin-shaming. If you go back to the very first verse, or the second verse, when he says, anyone who is never at fault at what they say is perfect or complete or whole or holy and able to keep their whole body in check. There's only one that can do that. His name is Jesus, right? He's the only one that was perfect. And because he fulfilled his destiny, he, 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 he came and did what the, all the prophets had waited for so long to happen. Now, because of him, we have the ability to be made new. And when he makes us new Christians, when he regenerates us, he wants us to mature. And what I believe James said pretty clearly is, a maturing Christian that loves, that's slow to speak, that functions in peace, is peaceable, controls their mouth. And a, tr a real, real good indicator of somebody that is following after Jesus is their ability to remember and carefully bridle their own tongue. That's God's will. That's his plan. Hear that from the shepherd. Hear that from the pillar hear that from James the Just. Would you stand with me? Father God, I just want to thank you for your presence and your spirit, and I pray, God, that we would continue to seek you through your word, through the book of James, God, that we would remember that the message of the gospel is so important, that it's so life-giving, that we should do all that we can to make sure that we are giving the living water to the world and not mixing it with our thoughts and our politics and making it brackish and salty, but to make sure that we are slow to speak, that we are careful with our mouths so that they hear and sense the fire of the Holy Spirit and not the fire of men, Father. We love you and we thank you for all that you did and who you are in Jesus' name.